Please turn to John chapter 8. We'll start this morning's reading from verse 21. We'll go through to the end of the chapter. It's a long reading, so uh, please stay with us as we, we do it. Jesus had just declared that he was the light of the world. And then uh, we come to John 21. So he said to them again, this is Jesus speaking, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said to him, will he kill himself since he says, I'm going away and you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am, and that I do nothing on my own authority. But speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I have always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we're the offspring of Abraham, and we've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me, because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen in my father, and you do, not, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be, you would, um, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, We are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come from God and I am here I come not of my own accord, but he who sent me. Why do you understand? Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? 
Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right to say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died. So did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are yet but fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out from the temple. Well, good morning, everyone. Who's excited about the cold weather? Oh, wow, some people are actually serious about that. Okay, we'll have a prayer ministry for you later. As you can tell, I'll come, I'll, I prefer warmer weather. It's the Indian blood in me. Um, friends, before we dive into our section today, we're going to pray. Would you join me with me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we want to come before you this morning. We thank you that you've been continuing to reveal yourself to us through the Gospel of John. We pray that you'll continue to do that this morning. Through the Word, through your Spirit. Make these words come alive, no matter what season of, of our lives we're in. Would you settle our hearts and settle our wills? May we walk away knowing you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, once again, a very special welcome to you if you're visiting Canterbury Gardens Community Church. Uh, it's a great joy to have you here with us. Um, we're a church that believes that in a perfect saviour. We're definitely not a perfect church. We don't have it all together. And our desire is that you would come to know this Jesus. And that's one of the reasons why we've been taking our time through the Gospel of John. So if you're someone who's a bit sceptical to the Christian faith, maybe it's been a while you've been to a church service, uh, maybe you have your doubts, welcome. We're glad that you made the time to come this morning. We pray that Jesus will continue to reveal himself. Maybe you're someone who's a follower and you're considering a new church home. Uh, if this is where God has you, we want you to know that we desire to be a, ch- a church that's known to make much about Jesus, as many churches do. And maybe you're just a bit apathetic. Uh, maybe this week you've sort of just going through the motions. And maybe this morning we are asking that through God's word that you, your heart will come alive again to seeing Jesus as he is. 
And so we've been going through the Gospel of John, we've been taking our time, we're coming up to John chapter 8. And last week Paul did a great job in calling us to consider the claims of Jesus, to consider the objections that the people were throwing at Jesus, and then finally also to see Jesus and his authority. And that only in Jesus you can find true life. And that our view of Jesus, no matter where you end up being, will actually impact all of your life. And that Jesus is, as very famously said, he is the light of the world. Not maybe, that he is. And that he's the one who was sent by God and he has full authority uh, by, uh, through God. This morning, it's that same dialogue. It's the same kind of group of people that are going along with Jesus. And this morning, I guess what I want us to consider is this. Once again, I want us to consider the claims of Jesus. The claims of what he says, particularly in this section of the Gospel of John. And not only that, I want us to ask this question of our own selves, our own heart. Where do we find our security? What's our hope in? Or, using some of the language you might have already heard, what's our freedom in? So, in verses 21 to 30, Jesus, once again, is having these wonderful discussions with these people who are basically asking all the way through, who are you? Who do you think you are? It seems that they're not really getting it. Uh, They're getting certain aspects. It may look like it as we read further on. But here's the thing. Revealing to them, even though they don't get it, that he is the Messiah. He is the promised one. And so they're not quite convinced, and they're saying to Jesus, well, where are your witnesses? Because that's what's required in that day and time. And Jesus once again says, hey, I do have my witness. My father is my witness. And later on, they may even accuse him to say, you're a liar. You're demon-possessed. And they even use language to say, accusing him of being a Samaritan, saying, you're not actually a real Jew. To them, they're seeing, as Paul mentioned last week, he's just a carpenter's son. And it seems to them this guy has no rabbinic background or teaching. And it seems at the moment, you would think that Jesus would be frustrated with them and he's done. And he would move on. But see, I think what's going on now is it's almost what you're going to see all the way now. It's kind of like the the, the speed is starting to pick up. The, the, The opposition is continuing to grow now. And here, I think what Jesus is doing, he's drilling deep into their hearts. Because their problem is really a heart problem. So he uses the language in verses uh, 21 where he talks about how he's going to go away. And you will seek me. And then he says, you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. And so at first, they automatically think he's going away. Where's he going to? He's a human being, in their point of view, they're seeing that that's all they see. And so where is he going to? And they automatically think he's going to go and kill himself. Basically because of that statement, where I'm going, you cannot come. And so for the, for the people there, the Jewish people at the time, when they're listening to this, they're automatically thinking, oh, maybe Jesus is going to kill himself. If that means he's going to kill himself, that means we can't go to him because that means he's going to be eternally separated. So, Because in that time, there was like the teaching and, and, and thinking that if someone killed themselves, they would be totally away from the presence of God. So which means they're thinking, they are the Jewish people, 
They'll never see Jesus again. There's sort of a lot of this religious background stuff going on. But see, here's the thing. When Jesus is speaking, because of their religious background, because of all the heritage that they're putting their security in, they're actually missing the point. It's actually causing them to be blind to what Jesus is actually saying. They're so blinded by it. Because what they're even saying in that moment, even Jesus himself says to them, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. That's striking words. But they don't get it. What they're focusing on is, oh, you must be going to go kill yourself. And they're missing it. What they're more concerned about is, who are you? Tell us, Jesus, who are you? And Jesus says to them, in verse 23, You are from below, I am from above. You're of this world, I'm not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I'm he, you will die in your sins. Jesus' claims is starting to pick up even more, and he's reminding them, really, at the heart of it, it's his deity, saying, I am from above, you are from below. It's a reminder again, and he's placing himself equal to God. The declaration that he's not of this world is declaring that, as in John 1, we've heard that he is the Word. He's always been there in the beginning. It is a picture of a creator. Here in this moment, because of who he is, Jesus clearly tells them there's consequences for not believing him at his word. He says, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. This is like a judgment statement. He's declaring an absolute truth. This is what's going to be picking up in this section. But they're so blind to it. They still don't get it. What I find interesting is that they're so caught up in trying to figure out who this Jesus is, they're totally missing on the eternal reality that is facing them. They're so blind to it. And all they can keep on saying, using Aussie terms, who do you think you are, buddy, to say such things? But friends, we've been exploring over the last few weeks, Jesus has been revealing himself openly and clearly to them. And we've been told that the signs that Jesus does, the miracles that he does, all are pointing to who he is. And even in this section, if you kind of get your little pen and get your little journal and you kind of underline the amount of times that Jesus says, I am, these are statements again of him saying, I am God. I am equal to God. So he is revealing himself. He is revealing over and over his very nature that he is, as we've been exploring in the Gospel of John, that he is the Christ. But the thing is, they continue to focus on the person Jesus for the wrong reasons. And so Jesus wants to show them, in a sense, he's not too fussed what they say about him. Because Jesus is very clear that he has a mission in mind. Not only does he have a mission, that he has a message that is from above because he is from above. And his source 
is the Father himself. And in this section that we're looking at, he repeats this, um, this idea. And if you see in verse 28, so Jesus said to them, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I will always do the things that are pleasing to him. In other words, if you want to use a, a kind of art kind of language, Jesus is like saying, hey, you can say whatever you want about me. You can call me all the names that you want. You may even assume I'm this or that. That doesn't matter to me. What really matters to me is to do what will please the Father. That is my agenda. That is my goal. So it doesn't matter what you think because the Father is pleased with me. And you see this in the Gospels. You see in the famous story of Jesus getting baptized. This is my Son in whom I am. Well, pleased. Because Jesus is the perfect son. His whole goal constantly in his ministry here on this earth was focused to do the Father's will. And friends, when you read this kind of section, you've got to constantly ask the question, there's Jesus and then there's me. Or there's Jesus and then there's us. There's Jesus and the Jewish people. It's a contrast. Because in the contrast, the real picture is the Jewish people and the people that he's interacting with are far more concerned about doing their own thing. Because life and their whole life has become about them, their religious duties, which leads them to religious pride. And in their blindness, they cannot see Jesus for who he is. And Jesus declares something very powerful of what is to happen. Did you pick it up in verse 28? Hey, there's a day coming that you will know. And he says, so Jesus said to him, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. Friends, that's a powerful statement by Jesus to the people he's speaking to. In that moment, he's declaring to them, hey, here's a reason why I'm here. I've come for this one purpose. Here it is. And the other thing he's declaring, the only way that you will truly see me for who I am is going to be in that moment when I'm lifted up. Or another way to say it is when I'm glorified. Jesus is making very clear, because he is the son who is far more concerned about doing the father's will, his driving force, the one thing that moves him to do everything that he does, the very purpose is ultimately to do the ultimate father's will, to die on a cross. In which he does. And in that moment when he's lifted up physically on that cross, not only that, he's declaring in that very moment who he is. It's really a glorious thing because it's not only till people see Jesus on the cross, it's like a realization of who he is. That he is the perfect, obedient son. But in that moment, it's a glory moment. Because it's not loss, it's victory. Because he is the conquering king. You know, in the Christian faith, the cross, if I could put it this way, is like the epicenter of our faith. Because in that moment, you're seeing the obedient son, 100% committed to the Father's will. Not only that, you see in whom we can only have life. 
in his work, not yours or mine. I don't know about you, each Sunday, you and I come to a church service, maybe here or another church service. Each Sunday we sing songs, we might have communion together. Each Sunday we may go to a a church that has a wooden cross up here like this, or maybe a wooden cross as you go through the foyer. You may have a gold cross around your neck. But I think sometimes these kind of symbolisms, they're just symbols, become very familiar. Jesus being lifted up on the cross, yep. We may even sing songs about it. But the beauty and depth and the glory of it is sort of becomes too familiar. A few uh, weeks ago, I had a good friend of mine from Singapore. Uh, now, I've never been to Singapore, but he was telling me where he lives. He lives in a high-rise apartment, uh, lots of pollution, um, you know, uh, he, he's that kind of world he lives in. So he comes and he, and he says to me, hey, I want to see your church building. I'm like, okay. Um, so I drive him out here. So we drive from the city, 40 minutes, drive in through the driveway, and he's just like, the eyes are just this big. And then he comes in and we pull on the driveway and he comes out. So as soon as he steps out, he goes, I think, I cleaned my car this morning, so I'm not sure what the problem is. And I looked at him, and his name's Guna. I said, Guna, what's going on? He said, you're right, you got car sick? He said, no, 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 Shabu, smell the fresh air. And I'm like, I think they mowed the lawn. So I said to him, okay, um, yeah, hmm. So I said to him, all right, look, why don't we, why don't we go up to the Danongs? So we get in the car, we drive up to the Dandongs all the way, and, and all the way through, it's like a little kid, you know, he's staring at the window, like just, <gasps> wow. And then we get all the way to the top, and it's sky high, and, and I just get out, and I'm like looking at the time, just want to get home, <laughs> because I've like been to sky high before. And he gets out, and he's like, once again, <sighs> just takes his time walking around. And I'm going... But I think that's what happens sometimes, right? We become so familiar to something that the beauty and the glory of it just becomes lost. Whether intentionally or unintentionally. In the midst of everything that's going on in our lives. See, the cross is a reminder of two things. One, who Jesus is. Very clearly. And that cross is a glorifying moment. Because in that moment, as Jesus is hanging on that clothes, he's declaring that life can only be found in him and nothing else. And that ultimately, for us who know Jesus, that's our only security. That's the only thing that we have to boast in. Because he is the exalted one. My friend, if you're someone exploring the Christian faith, maybe you're apathetic to it, I want you to know very clearly that there is only one who is the perfect, obedient son. There's nothing that you can do to make yourself right with a righteous God. And the cross is a reminder of that. And our prayer is that you would explore this, these claims, and come to know him. And in this moment, in this, in this section, verses, Jesus almost does like an evangelistic appeal, and, he, and, he, and there's a response it feels like. It's awesome. It says that they believed. Hmm. Did they? Is that real belief? So Jesus wants to push it a bit further. 
He wants to explain to them, if you believe in me, then you will follow my teachings. Or another way to put it is, you will abide in me. So from verses 31 to 59, what we're doing is Jesus is now starting to unravel even further and going deeper into the hearts of the people that he's engaging with. In some sense, there is a belief in what Jesus says, but as the storyline goes, you're starting to see, ah, do they really 100% believe fully who he is? Because the question keeps asking, who are you? Who are you? So Jesus unpacks further what it really means to believe in him, what it actually really means to have... um, to be a disciple of his. See, for the people at the time, to be a a disciple of a religious leader or a rabbi or a teacher, it's almost like, oh, you're just going to take on their practices and their teachings. And Jesus is saying, oh, no, no, no. That's not what I'm looking for. Jesus is declaring that following him is not about following a group of traditions, let alone all of a sudden you've got this Christian heritage or religious heritage. The word he speaks of in here is this word teaching. Uh, Or uh, another way to say is proclamation. Or another word that's very familiar in the Gospel of John is the word logos. It's the word, the word. The word is describing the word of God. That is Jesus Christ. It's describing him. It's talking about his incarnation. It's talking about who he is. That in Christ you find both salvation... It's a pronouncement that he is the Messiah, that he's equal to God. So what Jesus is saying is, if you're going to follow my teachings, or another way to put it is, if you're going to follow my words, you're going to follow the word, a true follower is one who believes, yes, but also one who rests in the promises and who he is, in the truth and freedom that he provides. It's a dual thing. What I think he's seeing here is, hey, listen, to be a follower of mine is not about just following some sort of rabbinic teacher. Because following me actually has a cost. To be a follower of Jesus, there is a cost. It's not just about religious heritage. It is a real picture, a call of surrender and submission to him, the word. And as Jesus is continuing this conversation with them, this is why I think he says to them, hey, listen, I want to make this clear to you. And you will know the truth, in verse 32, and the truth will set you free. If you've grown up in Christian circles, this is one of those famous Christian verses. You might have a coffee mug or a T-shirt or a sticker somewhere that has these words. And it's easy for us to gloss over it and go, yep, I've heard that before. See, as you see the dialogue between Jesus and the Jews, it's confronting. Because Jesus says to them, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And their reaction straight away is, what are you talking about? We're free people. Who do you think you are? But here's the thing. They're not seeing what Jesus is really trying to get at. See, to them... They think they're free. Yes, they're under Roman occupation, but they're free people. 
and not even more, if you kind of delve a little further, the history of Israel, they're constantly being given over by God into slavery. But they're so blind to it, they don't understand what Jesus is really trying to say. And even in their mind, they're thinking, hey, we're the people who keep the law. We're the people who are descendants of Abraham. Who do you think you are to tell us that we're not free? Their assurance or their freedom is in their cultural background and their heritage. They think being descendants of Abraham, that's what makes them free. And Jesus is trying to drive in further. He says to them, being a disciple of his is not only about hearing, but it's a picture that you're actually joined with Jesus. It's like saying in this moment, if you unpack the stories of Jesus, Jesus constantly says to him in these verses, hey, listen, even the law itself points to me. And it's this kind of unveiling of what Jesus is trying to proclaim. That in Jesus, you find both grace and truth. And because if you want to understand true freedom, true freedom is not found in sort of religious stuff. It's actually found in a person. That is where true freedom is found. It's found in Jesus Christ, the word, the truth. What Jesus is making is an absolute statement. Now, friends, growing up in modern-day Australia, how do we go with absolute truths in our culture? Right? If you engage with people about absolute truths, people just look at you and go, come on, man, really? A wonderful world of social media has done, shown that even more, right? Get invited to an event, there's an option called maybe. Either you're going or you're not. Maybe. We'll see what better options I get. I think it's sometimes what happens is we're such a, a culture that loves options. I kind of call it the muesli effect, right? You want to buy muesli? What kind of muesli? Go to the supermarket aisle. Some fruit, no fruit. Organic, not organic. Which brand do you want? We're, we're, we've got lots of choice. And we're constantly fighting against this idea that this absolute truth... No, 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 we can't have absolute truth. And friends, that happens to all of us, whether we like it or not. We question it. But friends, Jesus' statement is an absolute truth. Jesus is absolute truth. It is countercultural. So later on, John would actually unpack this even further. In John chapter 14, verses 6 to 7, one of the most famous verses that Jesus ever uttered says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do not know him and you now you do know him and have seen him. That is an absolute truth statement by Jesus. I mean, that truth narrative and that language is continued in the Gospel of John. I mean, the very time when Jesus is about to be heading to the cross, he's, in, he's talking to Pilate, and Pilate says, So you are king in John 18. You say that I am king for this purpose I was born. For this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. 
This idea of absolute truth is constantly something our culture and even our own very hearts may push against. Jesus is declaring there is absolute truth. Him. Exclamation mark and full stop. And Jesus now wants to explain to them the reason why you're not seeing this is because you're actually not free. You're actually slaves. And he talks about in verses 33 to 38, he wants to clearly tell them, hey, the reason why you are not free is because ultimately you're a a slave to sin. Because you're missing the point. So if the Son uh, sets you free, you will be free indeed. You do not even see that you need to be freed from your sin. Because all they are relying on is that they're offsprings of Abraham, that even belong to the Father. And Jesus calls them out and says, Liars, your desire is to kill me. The very refusal to see that Jesus is the truth reveals the blindness, that they are in need of salvation. And all their religious practices will not save them. And all they can do now is that accusation starts to escalate. And I think Jesus is being deliberate to them and is saying to them, this is why you are the children of your father, the father of lies, Satan. Because all they can think about is lying about Jesus. Because in this moment, friends, what we're seeing in rawness is the dark reality of a refusal of people to acknowledge Jesus for who he is. And it reveals their heart condition. and reveals their blindness. And all they can say to defend themselves is use their heritage. They go back to history. They go back to statements that they have been taught and know. And they're totally missing that they're actually slaves who need to be freed by the Son, the Word, the Truth. And this is what happens. They're enslaved. They don't even see it. And like I was saying, you know, if you see in the verses, what do they go back to? They go back to their heritage. They talk about their religious heritage. They use the language of God. Even They even have God as their father. And now it's a great little kind of moment of spiritual kind of uh, language. But Jesus is saying, hey, if you were really believing that, if you truly believe that God is your father, then you will see me as I am. Because you don't even love me. Because the Father loves me. And then they go back to ethnic heritage. Abraham. That's what they all know. And then Jesus says to them, some of these things may be true, friends, but if you really love the Father, if you're really of Abraham, you, firstly you would love me, and you would have seen this reality that Abraham was waiting for this day. Abraham, your father, uses the language, your father and Abraham would have rejoiced for this day. Rejoiced for this day. What's he talking about? Most likely, most commentators would say, it's that moment in Genesis 22, the very famous story of Abraham and Isaac. When Isaac is going to get sacrificed by his father Abraham. In that moment, the angel of the Lord, or in other words, God himself, says, Abraham, stop. Don't lay a hand on your son. So Abraham is 
so thankful and is, is responding. And it says in verse 13 of Genesis 22, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, him, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns. Now Abraham went and took the ram and offered up at a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. The Lord Will Provide. And God does. Not only then, and he did now in Jesus Christ. The provision has arrived. This is why Abraham rejoiced. Because there is the perfect one who would come. See, all of this is Jesus saying this is all pointing ultimately towards him. And they're saying that they're totally missing the point. And this is why Jesus wants to make it very clear to them about who he is. What does he do? He does something that creates a reaction in them with so much anger. He turns around to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. They're saying, who do you think you are? Who are you? And then Jesus quotes and says, no, Abraham rejoiced. Before Abraham, I was. And all this kind of language is to say, who do you think you are? There's only one who has been there before. And Jesus says, I am. And to the Jewish people at the time, they know automatically what that means. This is Jesus saying that he is God. It's not like I might be, he is. It's an absolute statement. And their reaction shows how they feel about that. Blasphemy. Let's stone him. Once again, showing and declaring that ultimately Jesus' hands is in Father's hands, not in the people's hands. His time had not come. Friends, at the heart of this section of John is to actually ask the question or to consider this to be truly free in life. True freedom is not found in your religious practices. Did you know that going to church does not make you a Christian? Did you know that being involved in as many ministries as possible does not make you a follower of Jesus? Did you know that being a lead pastor of a church does not make you a Christian? Or did you know that your heritage, maybe being brought up in a Christian home, that doesn't make you a Christian? Maybe going to a Christian school and you think that makes you a Christian. That does not make you a Christian. Maybe you've done all the right things. But friend, your heart might be far from Christ. See, true freedom is found in being controlled by this absolute truth that Jesus is not only the Messiah, that Jesus is not only the exalted, crucified Son of God who is perfect, but he's also the risen one. And that freedom can only be found in him, the absolute truth. Because this is the only truth that really matters in all of our lives. Because this truth then becomes the foundation that we live our lives for him. Not out of our own will. Because then all of a sudden when we give our lives to Jesus, be disciples of his, we find freedom. And everything that he commands us to do now is in obedience, in joy to him. Just as he did perfectly on our behalf. I love that statement that Jesus says about Abraham and in using that language of rejoice. 
Friends, that moment is a reminder through God that there is a need for one sacrifice, a better sacrifice, Jesus Christ himself. That was God's plan. And that was the only hope we can have in him. That God would send his only son to die on the cross for you and me. As it says in Romans, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is, conde- who is to condemn? Christ Jesus, the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we have been killed all the day long. We regard as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's all Christ. He's done the work. This is why the cross is both powerful and freeing. So Christian, what's your assurance in? Is it in Christ? Or have you put it in something or someone else? Friends, what are we boasting in? Are we boasting in the knowledge of God? Are we boasting in the heritage that we have? Or how religious we are? Or are we just boasting in simply the absolute truth, Jesus Christ? And what he's done. Friend, are you someone who's entrapped in sin right now? Trying to fight and do your own thing in your own strength? Cry out to Jesus, the merciful one. I've been really confronted by these verses this week because as I raise our kids, parents, are we raising kids who know all the rules and regulations of what it means to be a Christian? Or they've been constantly confronted by who Jesus is. It's, we, it's easy to raise moral kids. We're called to raise kids who love Christ and be captured by this absolute truth. And there are some of us who are very good at being religious, who are very, in a sense, proud of that. Maybe something you need to consider is to humble yourself again and look to the one who has humbled himself and cried for his mercy and grace. And for those of us who are exploring the Christian faith, I want to let you know there is an absolute truth. His name is Jesus Christ. There's nothing that you can do to make yourself right with a holy God. Being a good person doesn't make you right with a holy God. Donating doesn't make you right with a holy God. Recycling doesn't make you right with a holy God. There's only one who is right, who's done it perfectly. His name is Jesus, and you need to begin by seeing him for who he is. And there are some of us, finally, who are constantly listening to the lies of the devil. The father of the lies wants to constantly tell you to look away and to look at yourself. Remember the absolute truth. Cry out to Jesus. 
and reject Satan's lies. In Jesus' name, let me pray. Lord Jesus, you are the absolute truth. No ifs, no buts. Because of who you are, you are God. In you, we have true life. In you, we have freedom. Help us to live in these truths today. In Jesus' name, amen.